This episode of Fearless Rebel Radio is brought to you by You On Fire. You On Fire is the amazing 12-week online group coaching program that I run where we build up your worth from the ground up so that it's no longer hinging on the way that you look. It's got personalized coaching from me and incredible community support plus lifetime access. Get details on what's included in this program and sign up to be notified when doors open for the next cycle by going to summerinandin.com forward slash you on fire. I would love to have you in that program and in that group. This is Fearless Rebel Radio, a podcast about body positivity, self-worth, anti-dieting, and feminism. I am your host, Summer Inanin, a professionally trained coach specializing in body image, self-worth, and confidence, and the best-selling author of Body Image Remix. If you're ready to break free of societal standards and stop living behind the number on your scale, then you have come to the right place. Welcome to the show. This is episode 122, and I am interviewing Erin Flores, registered dietitian. We're talking about male body image, how to teach kids how to have a positive body image, and we also spend time talking about binge eating disorder and how to take a health at every size approach to heal. You can find all the links and resources mentioned in this episode at summerinandin.com forward slash 122. Before we begin, I just want to give a shout out to... T Citizen, who left this awesome review. I found this podcast yesterday and I've listened to four episodes so far. It's like binging, but in a great way. I hope I'm educating myself and taking notes on something from each episode. Awesome. I love it when people take notes. That's so cool. Thank you so much for leaving that review. Leaving a review helps others to find the show and everything that you're learning here. So if you haven't already done so, I would really appreciate it if you took a minute to head to iTunes, search for Fearless Rebel Radio, and then click ratings and reviews and click to leave a review or give it a rating. And if you haven't already done so, please subscribe to the show via iTunes or whatever platform you use. Lastly, don't forget you can get the free 10-day body confidence makeover at summerinandin.com forward slash freebies with 10 steps to take right now to feel better in your body. Or just go to thebodyimagecoach.com to find everything that I mention on the podcast. Today's guest is Aaron Flores. Aaron Flores' private practice is in Calabasas, California. He also sees people online. He uses intuitive eating and health at every size in his work to help individuals learn how to make peace with food and their bodies. He is a certified body trust provider and also the co-host of the amazing podcast, Dietitians Unplugged. I Love this interview. I love talking to Aaron. He's so wise. He's funny. He's quick-witted. And he has so much to offer in this conversation. And it's also just really awesome to hear a man's perspective on this because this field is really dominated by women, which is awesome, but really cool to have different voices and different perspectives. So I think you're going to get a lot out of this show. Enjoy. Hey, Aaron, welcome to the show. Hey, Summer. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm so glad to have you here. When I asked my audience who they wanted to have on the show, there were quite a few people that said they wanted you to come on the show. So, Wow, I'm totally honored. Yeah, well, and I mean, so many of the guests that I have are female or identify as female. So it's really nice to have a male perspective on some of this stuff. And uh, as I told you in the email, I'm having a baby in September and it's it's a boy. So I'm super curious about, you know, the relationship between body image and just how that influences men. Yeah. 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 
No, it's a great topic. And, you know, it is, first off, let me say congratulations. Thanks. And it's one of the hardest jobs in your life, but it's also the most rewarding. And I'll be honest, it's really hard. Yeah. It's really hard. And, uh, you know, some days you realize, hey, I'm not the best parent that I probably could be. But I think what has been really cool for me is like so many of these tools that I learned through my work have helped me really become a better parent and realize, wow, I am like not doing so well right now. I need to like circle back with my kids and apologize and let them know that, you know, I'm not perfect and this was not my finest moment. And it's actually helped a lot of my vulnerability work on some level. Oh, that's so lovely to hear. That's great. I'm hoping the same thing. I feel like the only thing I can foresee in the future is that my child will hate me for trying to coach him. (laughs) I'll be asking him questions. How does that make you feel? (laughs) Tell me more about that. (laughs) So I like motivational interviewing the heck out of my kids all the time. (laughs) It really like, and it started with them coming home from school and I learned to not ask. So how was your day at school today? Yeah. Cause that just got like, fine, good. Okay. Right. Right. So usually I try to ask them like, so what made you smile today? Like, tell me something that, you know, made you laugh really hard or something like that. And then all of a sudden they start telling me all these stories. Oh, that's so cool. I love that. I'm going to I'm going to bank that one in my brain for sure, because I think it's yeah, yeah, you're asking open ended questions. Smart. Yeah, (laughs) that's really good. I'm so glad to hear it. It sounds like you have a really good relationship with your kids. And that's so that's so nice. Yeah. No, it's it's best thing I've ever done. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's backtrack about your story. Tell, yeah. I would love you to tell everyone about how you got to where you are today, like how you got into this line of work. Yeah. It's been a definite journey for sure. So I, I've been a dietitian for 10 years now, coming up on, on 11. And basically, you know, I came to this work, honestly, I came at it from a completely different angle than where I started, where, where I am now. So I originally went back to school at 30 to become a dietitian. And my original intention in that moment was to be a weight loss dietitian. I really wanted to be the new Richard Simmons Mm -hmm. and coach everyone about losing weight because that was my experience in life. I'd been through a really intense, long period of dieting. And I was really unhappy in my previous career as a video game designer, developer. And I was like, I need to go do something else. And I figured what better way to, you know, mix both what, you know, was sort of my obsession, but also my experience with food and bodies. And I figured what was the best way to do that was to become a dietitian. So I went I went back to school at 30 and I spent, you know, four to five years going through training to become a registered dietitian. And, you know, my first job was at the VA and I was working at the VA and I had a few different jobs there. But eventually I settled into a job helping run their weight loss program. And, you know, in that as I was starting to do that work and be a weight loss dietitian, I had been exposed previously to things like intuitive eating and health at every size, but they really didn't land and absorb until I was doing a lot of this work Mm -hmm. as a weight loss dietitian. And namely what I saw was firsthand the damage I was doing by advocating weight loss in veterans. 
you know, we had this weekly program and they would come in every, you know, every week and they would have a different class, but they would weigh themselves or I would weigh them before each class. And so I stood there with my clipboard, right. And weighed them. And they were these amazing group of men and some women, mostly men from, you know, a lot of different eras of of serving in the military. So there were some from Vietnam, some even from not, not very many, but like a few from, from World War II and Korea, and then more and more coming from different Iraq wars that had occurred. And these vets would come in and they'd you know, we'd built a relationship. They would come in and say, Aaron, it's so good to see you. How's it going? We'd chat for a little bit. And then it would come to the moment where they had to step on the scale and say, oh, you're going to be so upset at me. Mm-hmm. Or I did so bad. Or you would just see their demeanor change when they had to step on the scale. And and that sort of led me to really take a deep look into intuitive eating and health at every size. Like I said, I'd been exposed to them when I was in my undergrad work at Cal State Northridge, but I didn't really internalize it at all. And actually, I don't even think I finished intuitive eating when I first read it. It took me hearing Elise Resch speak at a local dietetic event where I was like, I really need to like dive into this book again, yeah. because what she said resonated so much with me. And I reread the book and I emailed Elise and I said, you know, thank you for this book. It, I think it's going to mean a lot for me, but it's definitely going to mean a lot for my work. And she responded and she said, listen, thank you for the email. And I have a weekly supervision group that meets every week or once a month, excuse me. And why don't you come by? And I was like, uh, uh, OK, <laughs> you know, she just invited me to her office to like for supervision. I was like, great. Yeah. And, you know, looking back on it now. I realized that that was my therapy. Like I would go and listen to these people talk about intuitive eating and applying it with their clients, but I learned to apply it myself at that point too. And it was then that I sort of realized over time that I really couldn't continue working the way I was working. And I I really started to see the harm in what I was doing. And I realized that the conversations that I want to have around food and bodies are not how many you know, servings of, I don't know, potatoes do you need or how many servings of vegetables? I really wanted to talk really deep, meaningful conversations around not just what people are eating, but why and how that affects their emotional well-being, aside from just their physical health. And I realized that that work sort of led me to the eating disorder world because that's where many of these conversations are occurring. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I was I was a paradigm straddler for a while. You know, I was sort of had one foot in weight loss and one foot in intuitive eating. And it took time and sort of process for me to move both feet over into an intuitive eating health at every size approach. And since then, I've just continued to to really dive deeper down that hole. I'm a certified body trust provider, which is a certification that has been created by Hillary and Dana from Be Nourished in Portland. And what that is, is really just looking at how intuitive eating, health at every size, weight stigma and social justice all intersect Mm -hmm. and giving me as a clinician tools to help, you know, explore that healing relationship from a really meaningful level. And it's, you know, it's I will say that, you know, I am so happy for the journey I've taken. It's been long and it's been a very like, you know, non linear but I'm much happier with the work that I do now in the eating disorder community and in my private practice than I ever was in the weight loss community. Yeah, yeah. I can relate to a lot of what you've said just in terms of, you know, starting to have those feelings of 
this just doesn't seem right. And, you know, straddling the two sides as you learn to navigate it yourself. I assume that as you were, you know, straddling those two sides, you yourself were kind of going through the process of becoming an intuitive eater and things like that as well. Am I, am I guessing that yeah. correctly? Yeah, no, totally. Like, I, so again, when I read the book, I was like, oh, I think I need to do this because I had been dieting for years. I started, I didn't really diet, I dive headfirst into dieting until my, maybe like early 20s, but it was a pretty headfirst, straight down dive. And it pretty much was my, I don't know, I don't know how to phrase it, but it was my MO for eating mm -hmm. or my, my pattern for eating for quite many years. And I would say that intuitive eating sort of helped me unravel that slowly but surely. And yes, I had to do a lot of my own individual work to feel comfortable talking about it with someone else. Yeah. And so I'm curious to know about your, you know, your relationship with your body. And, you know, did you struggle with body image? And was that kind of the catalyst to you becoming a dieter? It's a great question. I think, and looking, you know, again, I, hindsight is very, it is 2020. Like I look at it now very differently than I think what I experienced it with. So in my teens, I, and probably even before that, I sort of realized my body didn't look like everyone else's, you know, of my social circle. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't a huge concern. And it didn't play a lot of, you know, it didn't play a lot in my life. But I do remember being uncomfortable, like swimming without my shirt for like in my teens. And I do remember that my mom encouraged me to see a dietitian when I was like 15. And it was, you know, I went for maybe like a few months, I did not really do anything that this dietitian told me to do. I lied about all of it. Pretty much. I would like fudge my food records in the car before I went to go see her. And I just, you know, sort of fib my weight each week. Yeah. But I knew I wasn't quite, my body didn't quite match what others had. Mm -hmm. When I went to college, I would say the food rebel really took over. I didn't have any restrictions around eating. And I really just you know, indulged in a way where, because I had no limits. Right. And I sort of, I didn't have a lot of food restrictions as a kid, but there were some. Yeah. And, you know, I just went to college and sort of ate. And what I realized after I, I dropped out of college, I was not the best student back then. And I really had, had no direction. So I, I came home from Boulder where I was going to school and I, you know, I had gained weight and I remember waking up one morning and just saying, I don't, want like having this like moment where I was like, I don't like the way I look. And I, I had struggled with that before, but it, I never wanted to do anything about it. So like for me, the body image things were really about having a partner. And it was, I felt like I couldn't have or go on dates mm. in the current body that I had. There were also some things like about like, you know, I couldn't, I was worried about like fitting into like a I remember when Boulder, my friends used to go rock climbing and I was worried like I couldn't fit into the harness. Yeah. Right. If they went rock climbing, there were little things like that. But really, I think it revolved a lot around dating and finding someone that would want to date me in a larger body. Mm -hmm. So I think that was a big impetus for me to start dieting. Yeah. And so, you know, I'd love to know about the healing part of of that part yeah. of your journey. You know, how did you work on healing your body image? Or how do you continue to work on that? Well, I will be honest, I think it is a truly lifelong journey. And so I will say that 
you know, intuitive eating for me was the first step for sure. And that notion of rejecting diets and sort of, I would say that I started with rejecting diets. I started with sort of unconditional permission to eat, but I really held off on that notion of respecting my body maybe till later. And I think for me, it was probably more recent in my work that I've become more embodied for lack of a better word. I mean, just where I feel more comfortable in my skin today than I have, I think ever. And that doesn't mean I wake up every day and it's perfect and I am super happy. It just means that even on the bad days, you know, where I'm like, oh, I don't like the way this looks or whatever, is that I can sit with that feeling and also realize that I'm doing really, my self-care is nurturing and it's compassionate and it's not anywhere rooted in shame. Mm -hmm. And I think, to be honest, that's what the body trust certification also added to me. It helped me really like bring language to what I was doing. Yeah. And I think that is really important. So again, I, there are days where I struggle. There are maybe even weeks where I struggle, but I want to do everything for myself based on compassion and non-judgment. And I don't want to do anything that's really based around shame. Mm -hmm. And so were there any like specific tools that you used or things that you did? Like I know there seems to be a lot of resources for women, right? But I'm curious to know, like, did you apply some of those to yourself or, you know, what helped you? So I think one of the important things is I agree. I think there's many more things that are centered in this conversation around women than men. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's because I'm a dietitian and maybe it's because I was raised in a matriarchal family where the women have been the strongest sort of presence in our family. And dietetics is a largely female profession. Mm -hmm. So I feel like I've been surrounded by women my entire life and strong women, you know, in a positive way. And I think what that means for me is that like I've been able to see these narratives written for women and take what was needed for my own experience. Mm -hmm. So not feeling off put that it was very gendered and being able to take what the snippets that I could and apply them to myself. So that's one thing, right? Is I don't care who writes it. In the end, I think there's so many connections between the male and female body image experience. The biggest difference is that men just don't talk about it. There isn't the huge group of resource for us to sort of communicate and collaborate. And I really almost said, listen, right. That is not a rap thing, right? Stop, collaborate and listen. (laughs) No, it's uh, vanilla ice. (laughs) Oh, there you go. Oh, there you go. Even better. (laughs) Even better. Right. So that was completely unintentional. Um, But there isn't a community really set up for men to discuss these things. And I think that is the big difference. Mm -hmm. But again, I think if men are struggling, I think even if it is more women writing about this, I think we can read those articles and get something from them. Yeah, for sure. I think the other thing that was really cool is to take a step back and really honor the fact that my body has shown up for me every day of my life. And it's the only thing that has shown up for me every day of my life. And to me, that is really profound. And when I think about friendships and I think about family and I think about partners in our lives, I, those are huge support, but in the end, our bodies are with us every day. Mm. And so if we can shift the narrative from something of blaming or negative to something of respect and almost not even revering, but just 
just starting with respect, I think that changes how we view living in these bodies that we have. Yeah. Yeah. Respect is a really powerful perspective. You know, absolutely. I think if we can think about it through that lens instead of like trying to, you know, quote unquote, love your body or yeah, love your body, I guess would be the, the simplest way of saying it, then it becomes a lot easier to apply you know, different behaviors and self-talk, I think, you know, if you think yeah. about like, what can I do to just show my body respect, you know, that I yeah, exactly. appreciate its presence. Yeah. And listen, so here's my guy thing. I love Star Wars. I think there's a lot of stuff that I've sort of realized in Star Wars that has really helped my body image, which sounds bizarre, right? But I do this whole talk about intuitive eating and health at every size in Star Wars. Okay. And there's a great, I mean, Yoda has some awesome wisdom when it comes to body image. He has this one quote where he's talking about, you know, judge me by my size, do you? And and he goes on to say, and you shouldn't, you know, I can't, I don't know the whole quote, but he basically at one point he says, luminous beings are we, not this crude matter. And, you know, as I read that quote, I try to think about that. Like, you know, we are all no matter what we look like, are luminous beings and have a lot to offer this world. And if we can just be accepting of our blueprint right now, it allows us to do some really beautiful things in this world. Yeah, cool. That's awesome. Yoda's so wise. George Lucas, way to go. Yoda's the man. <laughs> I'm telling you, this is Star Wars. I know it sounds geeky and that's okay. I'm a total geek and nerd. But Star Wars has been a great entry point for me into some of these discussions. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. I haven't watched it in decades, but I should revisit some of it and and see. Oh yeah, we'll like uh, we'll have a little like like Zoom or Skype viewing party, you know. We'll <laughs> watch it'll be like three days long for all. Oh, totally. <laughs> the entire collection. Who else has tried Fab Fit Fun? You're going to want to check it out because you know I'm all about treating yourself. If you don't already know about it, Fab Fit Fun is a seasonal box with full-size beauty, fitness, and lifestyle products. Their spring editor's box is amazing. It includes awesome products like a free people eye mask, beauty and skincare products such as a Tarte Double Duty Leave Your Mark eyeshadow palette and a Rachel Pally clutch. And that's just the beginning of it. Don't miss out because they sell out fast. Check out www.fabfitfun.com and use the code REBEL, R-E-B-E-L-L-E, so you can save $10 off your first box, making it only $39.99. Again, that's fabfitfun.com fun.com and use the code rebel r-e-b-e-l-l-e you deserve to treat yourself so i know you have twins you were saying to me before and i know yeah. you, you have a son so well i mean i'm sure that it's probably through the same perspective but i'm curious to know some of the ways that you're teaching your son to have a positive body image or you know yeah. both, both your kids your son and your daughter yeah well, it's much more challenging than you think. And the reason I say that is because it's very hard to take off like the parenting hat and put on the like, you know, dietitian, coach, whatever you want to call it, whatever you're doing right in this realm, in this work. It's hard to sort of have two hats because they think a little bit differently. And my example is this is there was a couple this is it's got to be a couple years ago. My son was in the car and I was dropping off my daughter for summer camp and he was just in the car and we were talking about his experience at the same camp and he was telling me that the previous year someone in his 
you know, in his age group called him fat and how much it upset him. Yeah. And, you know, so again, this is around being seven, right? Seven years old. And so my dad hat wants to be like, fix it, right? Like, holy shit, I can't believe someone said that about my kid. Yeah. You know, I'm so sorry. He must be hurting so much. And then like the dietitian in me was like, okay, like, how did this make him feel? Like, what did this do to his body image? Like, have a conversation with my seven-year-old son around the word fat. Yeah. Around what that means for him and how to like honor whatever pain he might have felt, but also work on healing it. Yeah. And it was really like, it was a tough moment. Like I really had to like pause and I remember we were driving. So I had like probably some music playing and I, you know, really just sort of tried to talk to him about how that made him feel. What was the consequence of it? And again, it was sort of why he didn't want to swim without a shirt, Mm -hmm. you know, and he wanted to swim with a shirt on all the time. And, you know, so there was a couple conversations. One is, and it happened over over time, to be honest, like, I don't think it was all at once. But and this is what I mean by circling back is in the moment I said, I'm sorry, like that happened. I really wanted to hear more about like how he felt about it, how he handled it down the road. And also like how he feels now a year later. Yeah. About, you know, and I, I really it took everything in my power to not be the fix it person and to say, you're not fat. Yeah. Or, you know, that's not something you need to worry about or dismiss any of it. Right. I didn't want to do that because that doesn't honor his experience. Yeah. And I think later what I remember talking to him about was, you know, really like what value does that word have and why that word can be so powerful. And I talked a lot about my experience. I said, listen, I'm a fat person. Like I'm, I'm a fat dad. And I use that word And I told him, like, I'm using it not as a bad thing, but like I'm in a larger body than some of the other dads. Mm -hmm. But we had this whole conversation. I was like, but does it stop me from playing soccer with you? Does it stop me from, you know, doing all the things that you want to do with me? And it doesn't. And I said, Ruben, I go, this is exactly why when I go to the beach, like I sometimes take my shirt off and sometimes I don't. You know, it just sort of depends on how I'm feeling. But I want you to see that no matter what body you have is that you can go to the beach. Right. And it doesn't matter what you wear. It matters that you are actually out doing it and experiencing it and not letting it stop you from doing anything in your life. Mm -hmm. Wow. This is so helpful. You know, I've heard from people many times who have come to me and said, my child came home and said that, you know, that they're fat or that they were called fat. And, you know, they didn't know how to respond. They didn't know what to do because your knee jerk reaction is to just say, no, you're not. And that doesn't really, you know, help the work that we're trying to do here. And so, yeah, this is, I think this is going to be something that I reference and give to people and say, go listen to this episode over and over and over. Yeah, yeah. Like super, super helpful. And so what other ways are you, you know, are you teaching your kids to have a positive body image? Well, so what's interesting is I, we talk a lot about, I know this is, these are like sort of tangential things, but we talk a lot about personal space. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like my son likes to roughhouse, my daughter, not so much. And, and my, my son sometimes goes a little bit overboard, right? And he's a little rough with my daughter. And we hear her like saying, no, stop it. And I, and I tell Ruben, like, listen, when a woman is saying, no, stop it, you stop it. Like, that's yeah. just the rule of life. And that you really need to, to do that, even, you know, no matter who it is, your sister or anything. But like when, but that's a boundary, right? 
And then we also like I talk to my daughter a lot and they both know what I do. And they both come home at days say, oh, my God, dad, you would be so upset about what someone said on the play yard around diets or whatever. Right. Yeah. So they know a lot of why they don't you know about what I do and, and the beliefs. That's awesome. I think what both my wife and I try and do is just model what we want them to do. Mm-hmm. So, again, it's like it's sort of just being vulnerable about our own experiences and telling them that. You know, when you are like one of the things that I got from this body trust certification was a necklace that said, reclaim your body trust. And I don't wear necklaces. So I gave it to my daughter and I said, you know, I want you to have this. I go, because, you know, you might not need to wear it right now because you trust your body, right? You are fully embodied. You dance around the room like no one's watching. You, you know, wear whatever you want to school. You, you know, wear whatever you want to the beach. You, You sort of have have a a confidence about yourself. And I said, but if, if it ever wavers, right, I want you to start wearing this necklace because it's here for you because to remind you that your body shows up for you every day. So like I talked to her about some of those things and just say like, it might get harder later, but you know, this is where like I'm here to listen or mom's here to listen or even anyone that you else need in your life. We're here to listen So you're not doing this alone, right? It's not something you have to deal with all by yourself. And I think that's the most important thing I want them to know is that like I or my wife, we can just listen. Yeah. And really, we're not going to run into fix it mode and try and fix everything. We just want to listen and have that conversation with you. I feel like so many people listening are going to are going to tear up and be like, why didn't I have Aaron as a parent? <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> well, like, you're like next level. Like I'm like in awe. I'm like, oh my god, if I only I had someone like that when I was growing up. Well, you know, not that my parents were bad, but just like you're so, you know, I don't know, like vulnerable and sen- like sense of you have sensitivity and compassion and yeah, it's just it sounds like you have such a good relationship with your kids and and I think they're really lucky. I appreciate that a lot. And I will say that I'm not perfect. And I, like I said, I do have my moments where I lose my cool, just like everyone does. And again, I think, yeah, I don't want to say I'm perfect at all. No, no, There's... no, no, no. <laughs> totally. No, no, no. You're not perfect, but you're doing a lot of really good things. And I well, think you. I think you're going to inspire a lot of people listening and, and also just make people listening be like, oh, why didn't I have that too? <laughs> yeah. So I want to kind of shift gears here, unless you have anything else to say on this. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, you have a lot of experience working with people around binge eating disorder. And I would love to dig into that with you for a bit. Because I've never had any expert on the show. And I think it's a really important topic. And I'm curious to know, you know, first off, just, you know, what characterizes binge eating disorder that makes it different from someone who is binging in response to chronic dieting? So it's a great question. And my first answer is this, is I think they they actually might be similar on on some level. So I think, you know, if you look at DSM or, you know, diagnostic criteria for binge eating disorder, it's sort of vague on a lot of levels, but it talks about, you know, having these episodes of binge eating where they don't quantify, right? What is a binge? It's very subjective. And so, you know, a binge is really classified as eating more than you would in a normal setting. And a lot of people read that and they're like, uh, okay, that's me like almost all the time. Yeah. 
right? And or like they don't even know what a normal setting is. But I think the important thing with binge eating disorder is this notion of what I sort of see as a binge is really like chaotic and it's out of control. And it's something that when you're experiencing it, it's very emotional in the moment. It's very hard to stop. It's not comfortable. (laughs) You know, there's a part of it where it is, there is a soothing aspect of it, but it's really just a lack of control. It's almost like a, like a, a beast taking over, right? And just sort of yeah. driving this urge to eat. And the hard part, too, that people need to connect with is that it affects like multiple areas of their life where it's like, I'm not going out tonight because I am so anxious I need to binge. Or, you know, I'm so feeling so bad about the binge last night that I don't want to make plans today because you know, someone might see the rappers in my house or, you know, it's like it affects areas of their life that sort of cascade into this environment where the binge and the binges just control everything. Mm -hmm. I've heard it's kind of like an out of body experience. And I think that that's like kind of real. Yeah. Saying like that chaotic feeling that's different from someone who is just, you know, kind of been not eating enough all day and then comes home and is like, i you know, eight to a point that I was just uncomfortably full. Yeah. And, you know, the interesting thing, though, Summer, is I would really want to, like, I think it's hard to distinguish. Yeah. Right. Because I think for that person who has been restricting all day and then coming home to eat probably also feels very out of control. For sure. And chaotic. And, you know, I think that's why one, I think that's why the criteria is a little bit challenging for both clinicians, but also for the individual, for clients. But I think the other thing is I would not be surprised if we underestimate the prevalence of this eating disorder, mm-hmm. you know, and that we're really just, I really do feel like there's, well, first off, I would call dieting a form of disordered eating. For sure. Right? Yeah. You know, so, so I think the level of disordered eating in our society right now is very high. And, you know, we know that disordered eating can evolve over time, right? And that, it, you know, eating disorders can change from, you know, different manifestations. And I'm wondering just if we were to sort of look at those individual cases that we would see probably the prevalence might be a little bit higher. And if people maybe did a better job of teasing out what a binge is, I'm wondering if the numbers change at all. Yeah. Listen, we see that with any eating disorder that it's just they're all underreported. And that's really sad because it it leads to so much shame and stigma around all eating disorders. For sure. And I would assume like weight stigma plays a huge role in the underdiagnosis of it, too. Absolutely. So first off, we I say this every time, but it, it bears repeating is that binge eating disorder does not only occur in people in larger bodies. Yes. And it occurs across the weight spectrum. So that's, first off, that's really important because I think we might miss the diagnosis in people with, you know, smaller bodies or quote unquote, you know, normal bodies, average size bodies, because we're dismissing it as, you know, as, oh, you're just, you know, you didn't eat enough or whatever, like whatever the dismissive thing is. Yeah. But like, I do think that for the clients who have binge eating disorder and are living in a larger body, absolutely that weight stigma plays a huge role and is something that we are completely missing when we look at treating this eating disorder. Yeah. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about how you apply a health at every size approach. Yeah. And one that, you know, takes into consideration weight stigma. 
So again, that's why this body trust certification is so important. So I bring, you know, I would say with health at every size, I bring in intuitive eating and body trust. Those are the three main philosophies that I bring to this work and really any eating disorder. Mm -hmm. And with binge eating disorder specifically, especially because of the weight stigma, I think I want to do a couple things first with clients. One is I want to acknowledge their lived experience in their body. And I want to not make any assumptions. And I want to do that. Well, I want to do that with everyone, right? Yeah. yeah. But I think it's really important for someone who's experienced stigma around their weight for their entire lives to feel heard and to feel like they're going to go see a medical professional. I'm a dietitian, right? I'm in the healthcare field and they're not going to be judged. They're going to be given a space where they can feel safe in their body. So that's ultimately the first thing that I want to establish with all of my clients. And that means in sort of tangible things is actually addressing weight stigma and body image from day one. I think the common idea is that, oh, let's talk about intuitive eating or let's talk about the food part first and the body image stuff will come later. And I think that disconnect leads to maybe some harder work down the road and actually not naming some of the real issues that are going on. So I like to name them from day one. Mm-hmm. And really just under, you know, one is aside from hearing that lived experience, but is talking about how prevalent weight stigma is in our society, talking about where it shows up, how it shows up and the effect of weight stigma are connecting it to like a form of trauma and how trauma is one of those things that in our lives, if it's not healed, can have really, I don't want to say negative, but have very long-lasting consequences in our lives, including chronic illnesses. Yeah. And so naming that up front and saying, we're going to talk about all these things, but we're going to come at it with this lens. We're going to add this lens to all of our discussions, I think is what sort of brings that uniqueness to maybe how I would work or maybe other body trust providers might work when it comes to binge eating disorder. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you mentioned like weight stigma as trauma, which I think is really an important point. Can you talk about that a little bit more? Sure. So I think one of the things that I've learned is, you know, through this work is I learned about ACEs, adverse childhood experiences. Have you heard about, do you know about those? No. Okay. Well, I'll send you a link. There's a great TED talk and there's a, you know, there's a study called about adverse childhood experiences. And what they started to look at was, you know, the number of adverse childhood experiences that someone had affected their adult health or their adult. So people who had more ACEs had a higher risk for chronic health conditions and a whole array of them. Yeah. Right. So it's sort of understanding that trauma is not just a mental thing, right? But it affects us physically on a lot of levels and that trauma is passed down. Mm -hmm. It's sort of like uh, Gloria Lucas of Nalgona Positivity Pride gives great talks about how historical trauma is passed on to other generations. Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, yeah. And so it's really important if we frame weight stigma as trauma because we're sort of seeing how these little, whether they're, small aggressions, right, or very large things that people are experiencing on a daily basis affect their health, but also just affect their health of others down of their kids or, you know, of next generations. So for me, it's like saying, okay, you might have been told your entire life that everything that you are concerned about health wise 
has all been because of your weight. Mm -hmm. But what I want to sort of open your eyes to is that actually maybe the weight wasn't the problem at all. Yeah. Maybe it was the fact that you were traumatized because of your weight and it led to all these other things and it led to you've been trying to manage your health based on behaviors that are all about changing your body. They're not about actually accepting your body. And if we look at some of the research, right, we see that actually doing self-care from a weight-inclusive approach rather than a weight-normative approach is that our body actually responds to that in a very positive way. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's like connecting these dots. Now, again, these are like, for some people, these are like, this is like crazy talk. Well, you know, yeah. this is, might be the only time they've heard this. So, you know, a lot of my work with some clients is like almost revisiting this or talking about it in a way where it's literally planting a seed for maybe like to really <laughs> germinate and grow later down the road. Maybe that, you know, it's a very individualized process for each person to sort of internalize some of these things, because again, we're not taught these at all. Yeah. And it's such a shame. Uh, you know, when you like when I hear you talking about it, I'm like, what an opportunity to really help people heal if more medical professionals took this approach and were aware of this, you know, because like, it's just it's just perpetuated. Like all I foresee is like it's just the perpetuation of the cycle based on, you know, the amount of weight stigma that and discrimination that happens in, in the medical community. A hundred percent. And as a dietitian, I'm totally like culpable in that. I mean, like, for sure, uh, I did not learn about ACEs until, you know, just a few years ago. Well, yeah. And like no one taught that to me when I was in my dietetics training at Cal State Northridge. No one taught it to me in my internship. But, you know, listen, I definitely saw how trauma affected health at the VA for mm -hmm. sure. So it planted some really powerful seeds. But like it took, you know, years for me to sort of to be exposed to some things that are really important that I probably should have learned years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I feel like I could talk to you about this forever. So uh, let's go. Things. <laughs> <laughs> just like <laughs> book off the whole day and we'll just do like Star Wars intermissions. <laughs> yeah. Get, get ready, listeners. This is going to be a long ride. <laughs> no, you have so many good things to say. And I, and I feel like I could just I could go on and on, but we have to wrap it up. Uh, yeah. Is there anything else you want to say just before we do that? No, I mean, listen, I think I'm really appreciative to you for having me on. And I know that you talk about so many of these things already on your show. So thank you for doing that. And I would just say, you know, like there's a lot of people out there doing work like this. And I think the great thing about all these podcasts and that are out there is that sometimes we need to hear the same thing, but from a different voice. Yeah. And I think that's really important. And I am just really hopeful that more voices are added to this conversation because I think that's really what we need. We don't need just, you know, a few people talking about this. We need a lot of people talking about this and a lot of people that come from different lived experiences to share this story and to sort of make it more accessible to a lot of different people. Yeah, well, it's so much richer, too. You know, you need the, oh, absolutely. like to have the different perspectives. It's something I mean, it's just it's why I love doing this, because everybody has, you know, a different perspective, a different angle, a different experience. And uh, yeah, I think it's just, it's so helpful, even though the overall message might be very similar. There's always just so many different layers and facets to it. Yeah. And I think we need that repetition, because we're inundated with the opposite message constantly. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, I appreciate everything that you're doing. And uh, yeah, you're you're doing incredible work. You're obviously doing a great job imperfectly parenting as well. And Thank you. Uh, <laughs> where can people find more of you? 
Yeah, so I have a website. It's called bvmrd.com. B is in balance. V is in variety and M is in moderation. And I have a podcast also with another dietitian. Her name is Glennis Oyston. And that's called Dietitians Unplugged. It's an awesome podcast. Sorry, I didn't mean to like cut you off. No, I was just okay. excited to plug it. <laughs> Dietitians yeah. Unplugged is awesome. Glennis is awesome. She's been on this show before too. She's uh, yeah. she's really rad. <laughs> yeah, no, she's totally fun to be a partner with. Yeah. And, you know, on my website, you can read more about what body trust is. You can read more about working with me. I see clients in my office, but I also see clients virtually. So, you know, you can go there and read more about what I do. And, and if you're interested, you know, send me an email through my website. Great. Perfect. Awesome. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time today. This was a, such a good discussion. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you, Summer. Rock on. That was such a great interview. I was tearing up when he was talking about how he was parenting his kids. I don't know if it's like my pregnancy hormones or what, but I just was like in awe of the way that he approaches things with his kids. And I hope that you felt the same way. Definitely give me feedback. You can always comment uh, when I post this episode up on Instagram, send me a direct message, or you can get in touch with me via my Facebook business page, which is Summer In and In Coach. And I'd love to hear from you. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Rock on and I will talk to you next time. I'm Summer Inanin, and I want to thank you for listening today. You can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Summer Inanin. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this show. I would be so grateful. Until next time, rock on. Rock on.